Tech Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. How are you doing? And welcome to Tech Radio, the number one Irish tech podcast, bringing you news in tech from around Ireland and across the world. Remember, you can hear Tech Radio on air with RTE on Friday evenings or anytime you like with your favourite podcasting app from Apple, Google or Spotify. Uh, we keep you up to date, of course, every single day of the week on all things tech with our hourly updates and daily newsletters. And you can grab them for free at techcentral.ie. My name is Dusty Rose. This is episode 837 of Tech Radio. And to start us off this week, uh, we'd like to give a quick mention to Maths Week, which takes place online all next week, including new Maths Week TV for primary and secondary school audiences. Uh, There's also going to be online scavenger hunts and workshops and connected classrooms and the annual Maths Week award ceremony. We've spoken to them in the past. It's a fantastic initiative and they actually make uh, maths interesting and fun for the kids. So uh, fair play to more information on that at mathsweek.ie. Joining me right now is our Editor-in-Chief, Niall Kitson, to look at the big stories of the week. And I suppose, Niall, the biggest one really is, uh, I mean, we were laughing a couple of weeks ago at the heads of the four big tech companies sitting in front of the joint committee in America and kind of getting a bit of a bollocking and them not really answering any questions. Uh, But now the report is out. They got their leaving search. Exactly. And I think the emphasis is on leaving. <laughs> well said. Uh, the, the, the report, I thought, was damning. Uh, firstly, you know, kind of the, the, the government was saying that all four, uh, Apple, Facebook, Google and Amazon, were evasive and non-responsive. Would you agree? Uh, probably yes. Um, but I would add a caveat and say that perhaps they were not being interviewed by people that were in the main particularly well briefed on what they do. Now, you can take someone like Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez and you know she's on the ball. That's, you know, this stuff is second nature to her. It's when you get up the age range, you start to notice guys maybe haven't done their homework so much. Mm, And you start getting questions uh, to the head of Google about iPhones. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I, this, this, this was one of the questions last year, wasn't it? It's like, why, it was, yeah. why when I put in my name, do I get negative results in Google? Is this because of a liberal bias? Like, no, stop acting like a jerk. <laughs> oh, good God. So anyway, I would have to say that I think, yes, uh, a lot of those people were evasive and non-responsive, especially uh, Mark uh, Zuckerberg, who, uh, with his famous, mm, I'll have to get back to you on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and they never do. They never and they do. never do, of course, like, you know. Um, the uh, report said that the companies have exploited their position. Would you agree or not agree? Ooh, which position is that? I mean, Facebook, okay, pretty much a monopoly on, on social networking. Yeah, I'd say they've they've abused their position by allowing to make make money from hate. I think that's an abuse of their, their position. I think they have a, a moral obligation to their... Uh, to their users that they seem to have very little interest in discharging. So, yeah, I, I would consider that immoral. Um, Apple, mm, okay, uh, not not as sure. Um, yeah, I'm not as sure as Apple. Google have a history of just looking at companies that are interesting and buying them up. Uh, I'm not sure that's particularly immoral. I think it's mm-hmm. good news for startups. Um 
Yeah, I don't know. Like Facebook deserve everything that's coming to them when it comes to user data. Well, similarly, when it comes to uh, Google, uh, I think they deserve a firm slap on the wrist. Apple, almost from the opposite direction, that they protect their users too much, that uh, law enforcement officials have not been able to mm. get into uh, user data from Apple without using uh, outside measures, shall we say? Yeah. Now, do you know what? I, I actually have to agree with you on Apple because, I mean, they really came down hard on Apple and particularly on the App Store and said that it was a complete uh, abuse and Apple were completely using that App Store in their favour uh, and it was not a level playing field. And do you know what? The politicians are absolutely correct, but I have to agree with Apple in their response and that they went, it's our App Store. <laughs> you know, yeah, nobody's yeah. making you buy an iPhone. Nobody's making you use our app store. You know, if you want to get into the whole Apple thing, well, then that's the way we work things. And we do it for the safety of our users and we approve things and data and our standards are higher and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and I actually have to say that I, I kind of agree with Apple, because if you want to go the whole Apple way, you know, you're going to have less choice, but you know that it's safer. And that's something you're buying into the ecosystem. Um, where I find it's very difficult, though, for Apple is with Spotify or with uh, Fortnite. Yes. And they're available everywhere else. But on the Apple store specifically, they've got to pay 30 percent. And that's like, a, whoa. Well, no, that's, that's a, always been the rule. It's always I know, been I know, a 70 I know it's split. always been the rule, but Spotify have to pay 30 percent, whereas Apple, who also do music service, pay nada. Yeah, but I think the Fortnite issue is a little bit cheeky in that Fortnite have bypassed Apple with their virtual currency and mm. said, OK, you don't you, you don't have to buy it on the App Store. You can buy it loads of other places. Mm. Uh, and Apple went, well, hang on. What's the what's the deal here? You're making money that we're not getting a part of on this um, that we really should be. Um, mm. what's what's going on. So I understand Apple's position. Uh, I think mm, it'll ultimately, f well, will it force a climb down? I think Apple will probably be stubborn enough not to, because if they open that dam, all of a sudden you get all these other top line brands looking yeah. for better terms out of the App Store. I don't think that's, that's much of a runner. I think there are plenty of other places to play Fortnite, to be honest. Um, will it, will it, you know, be a, to force a big hit on iPhone sales? I don't think so. Uh, might, you know. No, I don't think, I, I, I don't think so. That's the only thing I think about the App Store. But then again, you know, kind of possibly Spotify should not make itself available on Apple. <laughs> well, if they dislike the terms that much. Yeah, well, I'm just saying if enough people did it, do you know what I mean? If you had enough mm. big brands like Spotify to like go, all right, well, we're not paying that and just withdraw from Apple and it gets back to, if you want to get into Apple, less choice, but it's safer. So maybe, mm. I'd, whatever. The um, the other thing that I thought was really kind of funny was that uh, they compared Apple and Facebook and Google and Amazon to the oil barons and the railroad tycoons of the past. That's an interesting comparison. Mm. And I want to throw another one at you. This is, this Ooh. is, this comes from an article I read in the last week or so. Um, I can't remember where I read it from, but um, basically Facebook was taking a leaf, pardon the expression, out of big tobacco. Basically get people as addicted as possible to your product, act like nothing untoward is going on. Mm. 
that's that's exactly what they want. And instead of, you know, smoking cigarettes, their their thing is time on site and engagement. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And there's a, uh, I watched, uh, it's about two weeks ago, it's a new documentary on Netflix all about social media. Mm. You should watch it. Oh, because- is this the social dilemma? Yes. And it's- you're kind of, you're watching it and you go, I know all this, but oh my God. It, when you see it all put together, it is very scary. And, it is very, And very the fact scary. that they have people that were on the inside, like the guy that invented the like button, the guy that invented infinite scrolling, you know, to see these people come back and go, do you know what? That's I, what I invented has been completely warped and twisted. And mm. it's, it's a really negative thing. Um, yeah. It's infuriating. No end. It's kind them. of like Instagram, you know, kind of the, the Instagram is becoming more and more like Facebook every day. Well, and it's getting away from what, what made it brilliant in the early days. Yeah, well, that's that's because you know parent company and all that. It, it'll be no. like, it'll be the same with the with the Oculus products. Trust me. Anyways, the uh, American government are recommending mm-hmm. that they should break up the monopolies uh, into smaller companies. I would love to see that happen in some cases. And um, maybe not in others. I, I think you and I others. probably agree that no, let Apple do whatever they do. Yeah. Yeah. But Facebook, but Facebook, no. I love that. I, I'm going to quote you on that for the rest of the week. Facebook deserve everything they've got coming to them. Yeah. And I think an <laughs> awful lot of their staff would, would agree with that sentiment. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely have to agree. Mm. Anyway, we'll see uh, uh, what's what, what's happening with that. Um, very quickly, just uh, one or two other things happening in the world uh, next week. Amazon Prime Day. Are you excited? And, well, in the tradition of happy hour, um, Prime Day is Tuesday and Wednesday. <laughs> uh, am I excited? Um, no, um, because most of the stuff that I'd probably buy off Amazon, I have already. Uh, I've found in the past uh, that it's like any sale. Do you know what I mean? The, the things that you actually want are not discounted. Yeah, and the things that are being sold off are being sold off for a reason. Yeah, uh, because it's will, old tech. Yes, you will get a very good deal on a, an Echo, uh, uh, any yeah. sort of Amazon uh, Alexa device, because yeah. the new ones are coming in. So they exactly. want to get rid of the old stuff. But do you know what? That's what it's good for. And you will get, I think, uh, really good bargains on, on an Echo. They're doing a great deal on the Echo Show 5. Um Fire, I think there's a Kindle subscription where you get the mm-hmm. Kindle and a charger and a something else and uh, books for a year for free or something like that, all for like 20 quid. Okay. I jest. I jest about the 20 quid, but you, yeah. you get my point. Well, any uh, class of a Kindle is a good investment if you just, because all yes. you want to do is read books. That's it. Get yourself a Kindle. They're great. 100%. 100%. Uh, the catch is, is that this sale is only open to Prime subscribers. But <laughs> the catch and the workaround that is sign up as a Prime subscriber with your 30-day trial. And make your purchase. And make <laughs> <then> cancel. sure... <laughs> Make sure you remember when to cancel. Yes. Now, actually, you can cancel almost straight away. I usually use it, leave it a few days from doing this. But you cancel a few days later and they go, that's fine. Um, uh, Your trial will expire in 20 days. Hmm. Don't leave it until the end. Like certain other people in our household. (laughs) Not mentioning any names. Also, speaking of online shopping, uh, I'm delighted to see Dunn stores are finally in the shopping game. Oh, my God. Yeah, well, thanks to uh, a company called Buy Me. It's an Irish company. So, yay. Uh, You will be able to do your shopping uh, in Dunn stores for Dublin and Cork only at the moment. But we'll see how it it goes. Uh, Download the Buy Me app, B-U-Y-M-I-E, and you'll be able to input your order. And if you're lucky, you'll get same day delivery. 
There you go, Grant. Listen, that's the news for this week, Niall. Thank you very much. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. As the pandemic continues to spread across the world, the pharmaceutical industry is turning to newer and faster ways to find the drugs that are going to help us stay healthy now and into the future. Billy Sisk is the Life Science Industry Manager at Rockwell Automation and he sat down with Niall Kitson to talk about how artificial intelligence and big data are helping to change the pharma industry. Billy, an awful lot of industries when COVID sort of came in and, and all the uh, the issues uh, that went along with it found it quite easy to accelerate what you what we call our digital transformation efforts you know the the project of digitizing as many functions as possible say an awful lot of call centers a lot of an awful lot of sales based offices were just able to up sticks and and move home without much in the way of a change of infrastructure or you know a, a learning curve but how did that affect the pharmaceutical sector where you know so many of your staff have to stay on site and yet so many of your staff can work remotely at the same time? Yeah, it's an interesting question, um, Niall. So I guess, you know, pharmaceutical and life science companies in general, um, you know, they're they're in a, I guess, a slightly unique position um, in that they still have to produce medicines, right? Many companies are producing, you know, in, in, in oftentimes life-sustaining treatments for, you know, diabetes, for cancer, for what, um, you know, th- these kind of uh, therapeutic areas. So they have to still get medicines to market. And, and when COVID hit, um, you know, it did have a very disruptive uh, impact on, on how medicines were, 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 um, were being manufactured. So, you know, at the heart of, of everything is safety, right? Both safety for patients, uh, but also safety for staff. Um, you know, maintaining your manufacturing uh, facilities in, in, in the era of COVID, you know, rearranging your, 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 your facility, uh, your plant floor to enable uh, areas like social distancing while, while maintaining the quality expected in, in, in pharmaceuticals was a real challenge. And I guess, you know, companies um, and manufacturers in, in, in the pharmaceutical area, they've really turned to technology to help them um, address some of these challenges. Um, and I know we'll go into a little bit more detail around some of the technologies being used. Um, so in, in, in kind of a paradigm, you know, from a sales perspective or from an IT perspective, these type of, of skill sets and resources within pharmaceutical, you know, they can work from home, but really the manufacturing of the critical drugs, they're still very much have to be at the facility. And, and again, you know, how you maintain that operation uh, safely really is being being helped and supported uh, through through technology. And a big part of that conversation around digital transformation is how COVID has accelerated everybody's efforts. Companies that were thinking about moving certain options to the cloud have had to move them en masse very quickly. I'm thinking of, of HR and accounts and that sort of thing. But um, that acceleration of process in the case of life sciences has gone into very different areas. And in particular, I'm thinking about advancements in AI and its contribution to things like drug discovery um, at a, a stage that perhaps, you know, the, the human option would have been preferred, but long as opposed to, you know, the AI option, which is presumably much, much faster. 
Yeah, so when, when you look at, I guess, a response to, to something like um, like COVID, a, a pandemic situation like COVID, speed is, is the critical factor, right? So speed of, of separating people, speed of, of shutting down operations in certain areas, um, but also speed in terms of obviously trying to come up with uh, with a vaccine for, for the pandemic, right, to treat COVID. And, you know, many different parts of... of, of um, of the pharmaceutical uh, industry really have to pull together. So on one side, you've got, you know, the scientists who are trying to discover the vaccine. You've got engineering who have to get involved to to make sure that you can actually manufacture what the the scientists are are going for approval on. But you've also then got the the actual regulators who have to um, obviously sign off and approve um, a drug uh, after different stages of clinical trials to say, yes, it's 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 safe for for people to to take this vaccine and to administer it. So all of those parties have to work together um, in a way that they've really never had to before to to try and meet a very, very aggressive timeline. If you look at how manufacturing companies and, and, you know, they're fairly widespread in the news in terms of the, the top companies who are trying to get a vaccine to market. So you're talking about, you know, the likes of the Pfizer's and in combination with BioNTech, you're talking about Sanofi in combination with uh, GlaxoSmithKline, Johnson & Johnson. Um, you know, many of these really large pharmaceutical companies who are experts in, in vaccine development and vaccine production, they're really, you know, turning to technologies, as you've mentioned, artificial intelligence being one of them, to really help try and speed that early stage development. And, and really how they do that is, you know, um, they, I guess a pharmaceutical company sits on a huge, uh, I guess, reservoir of data, right, and information. And it's information that's been derived over, you know, many, many years of clinical trials for different products. So they sit on a base level of information. Now, if you have people try and pour over that information, review it, to try and come up with the right assets, the right molecules to say, okay, this looks like it could be a good fit um, to address or to target COVID, you know, it would take someone uh, an inordinate long amount of time to be able to do that because they say for every failed clinical trial for, for a product, you know, it produces something in the region of five to 8,000 actual physical sheets of paper to review. Now, people just can't absorb that type of information. So what companies are using uh, technology like artificial intelligence for is, you know, they, they train the, the technology to, to, to basically pinpoint what they're trying to get out of the data. And then what it does is it just ingests this um, this reservoir of, of data and material in a very, very quick format and starts to spit out relevant pieces of information or, you know, to, uh, helps them basically to select the best assets to move forward into clinical trial and does that very, very quickly. So, you know, the typical drug development cycle for a vaccine is, is between 10 and 15 years. That's what people forget. So to try and come up with a vaccine within 12, 18 months, even three years, it's an incredibly aggressive time period, which we're having to, which we're having to meet with in the industry. So that's why getting a, a leg up or a leg forward in terms of using the learnings of, of previous trials for, for, for instance, for areas like influenza and so on, um, for SARS virus and, and other areas, using technology to, to take the learnings of, of what went right and what went wrong there and then obviously hone in on the best 
potential assets to treat COVID and AI is a, is a fundamental part of how they're doing that in the drug discovery stage. It's fascinating that, you know, the data that's gathered from previous trials is, is being reused. Um, is this sort of a development that has come along in the age of AI where you can look back and go, do you know what, we are sitting on all this information and we can still derive value from it. You don't have to draw a line under it and say, OK, we're starting this trial from first principles all over again. You're able to go back and get an idea and say, well, you know what, a 46 year old man who is in good health generally responds like this. Let's try it as part of a simulation. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's like it's like I guess anything else in life, um, Niall. You know, through through your failures in terms of uh, trying to trying to execute things or get things done, or you know, you often have your best learnings, right? And you know, when companies are um, you know trying to get different drugs to market, you know, one in a thousand might actually get through to become a product that's administered to a patient, right? So you've got uh, a huge volume never actually make it out of the, the science laboratory. And really, you're still utilizing all that information that you've got even through those failed trials to to learn from it, right? And to improve your processes, improve uh, your science behind how you're trying to get a drug to market. And and I guess, you know, again, in in a COVID era when, when it's all about speed, you know, technology can shorten that early stage development of, of really honing in on, okay, here are the best potential solutions to COVID. Um, and certainly, you know, as I, as I said uh, earlier, artificial intelligence just enables that speed, right? It, it ingests the data, it comes, you know, and again, it's not a silver bullet, right? You still have to train the algorithms, you have to train the technology for what you want to look for. But I guess, you know, technology in a case like this, it, it almost works against the, the, the human, right, or the opposite to, to a human doing the work because the more data you throw at a human, the more, I guess, the slower the response time, right, and, 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 and the, the, the less accurate the decision. The more data that you can throw at, at a tool like AI, the better because it hones, it, it ingests the data, and then it can come up with better models and better outcomes from it because it's using more data to, to benchmark its decision-making um, algorithms on. So it, it's very much... Uh, I guess, uh, you know, the more you throw at it, the better the outcome you will be in terms of, uh, of a decision from it. Mm-hmm. And throwing, you know, data that has been verified and, and treated correctly and, you know, is accurate as, a, as opposed to data that, you know, uh, is without any sort of standard that was maybe collected a long time ago when, you know, any sort of, uh, when certain applications maybe weren't dreamt of or would have been done in relation to a single drug or something like that, that, you know, is the, is the, the sort of the data reservoir being collected with a, with a view to multiple applications or is this mining um, previous studies? Like, for example, if I decide at some stage I want to contribute to the, the benefit of mankind, maybe you know, maybe not so much leaving my body to science, but would I be able to say, do you know what, I'm in, I'm in reasonable health here, have a sample of my blood or take my medical history or whatever and plug it into your algorithm. I'm, I'm going to volunteer this information for you. Yeah, I guess it's, it's, it's an interesting area, of, um, I guess, for, for potential future, um, you know, in, in terms of, you know, using uh, using tools like AI to, to better define, you know, the code of even, you know, 
blood samples and so on for for looking at particular molecules, how they how they react to, to different acids and different treatments. Um, it's not something that's, as I say, uh, widely being done at the moment, but um, you know, potentially in the future, I guess uh, it's something with the right controls in place, right? Because um, fundamentally, it's uh, at, at the heart of everything. It has to be safe. You know, the data needs to be. Uh, you, know, you know, it has to have um, very strict guidelines around what it's going to be used for. Um, and, and that all needs to be uh, factored into the decision-making process of, of, of any kind of a study like that. But um, certainly in, in terms of the future, it's, uh, it's open to possibility, I would say. Looking forward then, uh, assuming we are able to develop a, a vaccine in a, a reduced timeline, which, uh, which is the goal, there's going to be massive demand around the world for, uh, for doses. Um, how do, do we manage to keep up with the demand? I mean, are we, are we going to see existing facilities, you know, working double time? Or are there other solutions out there where, you know, other facilities or other uh, models can be co-opted to keep up with demand? So you're, you're seeing a couple of different um different activities going on Niall to, to, to manage this challenge right so what um, in the early days of COVID what, what you saw was you know um, in the US for instance you know Operation Warp Speed was set up and what what they did was you know this was a number of bodies that were, were, were basically set up and run by the, by the US government and it was to invest and, and basically buy up um, volumes of, of vaccines now again they're kind of hedging their bets a little bit here so for instance, the U.S. government, um, through Operation Warp Speed, have bought 100 million uh, doses of a vaccine from Sanofi. They've bought 100 million doses of a vaccine from Pfizer and from, from other companies as well. And what they're doing here is they're saying, OK, um, you know, we're not certain that this this is going to be the vaccine that's going to get clinical, true clinical trials. But what we want to do is buy capacity. And companies have already started manufacturing volumes um, without knowing the outcome of the clinical trial, right? Without knowing if it's going to be the one that gets through or not. So they're manufacturing at their own risk uh, volumes in the background already. So that's one method that um, governments and, and, and different bodies are using um, because we're talking about billions of doses, right? I mean, you know, they say un, un, until you get over a vaccination rate of between 45 to 50%, um, the virus will still very much be active. You know, once you have that level of the population vaccinated, it starts to naturally die out anyway. Um, so you're, you're talking about, uh, you know, billions of doses, which is which puts a massive, um, as I say, challenge around supply chain because you think, um, in terms of your 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 active capacity now to, to manufacture for, for areas like flus and for other other types of uh, vaccinations that would be going on, um, you know, typically these are in the, the millions, you know, maybe tens of millions in certain cases of influenza doses that would need to be produced a year. We're not talking about four, five, six billion doses. Um, so supply chain uh, challenges then come on board in terms of, okay, have we got enough injectable devices to be able to administer this? Have we enough vials have we enough you know there's a whole ecosystem of, of supply 
uh, chain elements that need to come together also to be able to to, to allow this to happen. So um, it is it is incredibly complex, but that's one way that you know governments are trying to get ahead of the curve. So you see it in the news, right? Ireland are buying you know a certain amount of product up front. So again, these pharmaceutical companies are, are almost manufacturing at risk. They're manufacturing without knowing if their product is going to be uh, the one that successfully gets to market. Uh, if it obviously fails in clinical trials, then those vaccines are destroyed. You know. So part of the uh, sort of new model that I've discovered is the idea of developing sort of single-use facilities that are designed for, you know, uh, solving a particular problem, delivering uh, maybe a particular drug, and then sort of closing down once they're once their natural life has uh, has ended. Are we going to see more of this happening, given that there will be so much demand for vaccines? Yeah, well, I mean, the single-use market has been one that's been, it's really exploded in the last uh, five to eight years in terms of the demand for single-use products. And single-use is, as you know, to give a quick explanation, it, it is, as it says, right, it's, it's a one-use and it's basically destroyed in terms of the production process. So in areas like... Um, uh, like vaccines and so on, you know, single use has really grown and developed around um, personalized medicine, right, where companies are investing heavily in, in, in more personalized medicine to, to basically solve patient diseases. Um, you know, in areas like vaccines and so on, what we're seeing is companies are, are looking for more modular, uh, modular type facilities. And the reason why they're looking at this um, is to basically manufacture closer to the patient. So if you take a, a you know, a continent like Africa, um, where, you know, their infrastructure, you know, for, for pharmaceutical production or vaccine production um, isn't what it is in, in mainland Europe or North America, it's very, very challenging to manufacture a vaccine there and, and, and get the right supply chain to get a vaccine to, 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 to mass inoculate people down there. So companies are looking at these type of modules or single-use facilities with a view that they can build it in a, in a more, uh, I'm going to say, engineering advanced location like uh, Europe or North America, shift the actual entire production facility in a modular format to um, to, to uh, various areas um, or emerging markets like Africa or India or where that might be, and actually then manufacture uh, remotely in those locations. And really that's one of the benefits that, um, you know, single-use and modular equipment allow you to, to be able to achieve um, is, is pre, uh, pre-manufacturing the equipment, shipping it to a location, and then getting up to, getting up to speed faster and getting to market faster where, where the medicines are needed. Um, when I mentioned earlier in the previous comment around, you know, supply chain being stretched, um, you know, single use is a, is a prime example of that because, you know, a lot of these vaccines are, are manufactured in, in these single use, uh, almost like plastic dis- dis- disposable bags, right? And really the supply chain around elements of those bags is, is, is becoming critical because companies who are at the forefront of vaccine development are buying up huge quantities. They're buying literally the world supply of, of these single-use equipment items um, to have stock for, for manufacturing. And it's, it's putting incredible, as I say, uh, stress and strain on, on, um, on production and supply chain. So one technology that I think has really found its feet in this kind of space, space having failed pretty miserably with consumers at at the moment is augmented reality. And when it comes to sort of reducing error and improving the quality of these sort of temporary facilities, it it really has found its feet in this kind of space, hasn't it? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, augmented reality has moved from what we would have termed in the industry kind of a nice-to-have technology over the last couple of years to now being quite widely adopted. And I guess one of the things that COVID, you know, has brought in um, was the necessity to, to be able to do more remotely, right, and be able to support more of what's happening in the manufacturing process remotely, um, do more around, um, obviously, segregating their people and separating people. Um, and if you look at, you know, I guess the practicalities of it, you know, a lot of... Um, uh, pharmaceutical manufacturers, vaccine manufacturers, they are buying key equipment, right? So it might be a filling machine or it might be a production machine. And, and they're buying those from either North America, from Italy or from Germany, typically, right? And, you know, you have a plant, for instance, a company like Regeneron down there in Limerick in, in Ireland who, who buys a, a line um, from a company in Italy. They, they may not have the, the necessary support people locally here in Ireland so if there's a fault with that, um, then they're having to, to bring people in. They're having to quarantine for 14 days before they can go to site um, to, to maybe fix that equipment. So technologies like augmented reality allow them to, to virtually or remotely guide people locally at the site to be able to, to fix um, errors in, in production, uh, get get uh, production back into operation faster. So, you know, from that side of it, you know, COVID has driven, a, I'm going to say, a ramp up in in use um, of, of, of uh, augmented reality. You know, other areas is for training, for instance. You know, it, it's very difficult to, to arrange things like classroom training, which would have been done in the past for, you know, upskilling of, of, of staff and so on. Um, you know, COVID, again, has accelerated the use there because, you know, for instance, if there's a an outbreak of COVID in, in a manufacturing facility, um, so if one person in, in on a shift, on a manufacturing shift of maybe 20 people comes down with flu-like symptoms, that, that entire shift is having to be stood down. Now, if they're making a very, very complex pharmaceutical product, then it's very, very challenging for that company to, to basically bring in a new shift of people to make the drug. So they're using tools like augmented reality to, to basically upskill the, the new shift coming and train them how to make the, the product in a very, very quick uh, period of time. So I'm going to say it's moved from that nice-to-have technology to more uh, more a mainstream, um, <clears throat> more, more mainstream product now. And that was Billy Sisk, Life Science Industry Manager at Rockwell Automation, chatting with Niall Kitson. That's it for our show this week. Do remember you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website, techcentral.ie or listen to us each week online or Fridays on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio and Extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, thanks so much for listening and have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.